1: Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience presented by DraftKings 2021 Daytona 500. DraftKings picks, maybe some bets, a preview, and an introduction to DraftKings NASCAR for the people who may not know, like myself. Now, what you can do to help out this show, it's very easy. Smash the like button to the episode in the comment section. Give me your early lean to win the Daytona 500. We don't know how the qualifying has turned out as of this recording. And if you are interested in plays after, which you should most definitely be as we get to the strategy here in a second, up on Mayo Media Network after qualifying, if there is qualifying, every single week is going to be a short DraftKings and Bet video for NASCAR. So if you're a NASCAR fan, tune in on Thursdays or Fridays and check out that video. You can also check out all of the NASCAR content, the short form content with the picks and bets up on the brand new feed from Mayo Media Network on the audio side, daily fantasy sports, picks and bets, the mix. You're going to get NASCAR. You're going to get soccer. You're going to get UFC, esports, some of my golf plays, European tour golf, whatever the short form content that we have a video wise on Mayo Media Network, which you should sub to right now, By the way, just hit that sub button. Thanks Thanks for that. That helps out. Um, You'll find up on those audio feeds as well. And there's a special giveaway for anyone who subscribes to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. So once again, Daily Fantasy Sports, Picks and Bets, The Mix. On Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review, something you enjoy about said podcast, even if you're making it up. And then leave your Twitter handle or email address, and you are in a draw for $100 American dollars. I'm not going to skimp out and give you Canadian dollars or Monopoly money or something. You get American dollars for this. We were, giving, we were releasing the winner on Monday's Pat Mayo Experience with Jeff Feinberg breaking down Riviera for golf. So please, go do that now. Help out the show, Daily Fantasy Sports Picks and bets joining me on the line his return to the scene now of fantasylabs.com at rotodoc on twitter one of the best to do it in the daily fantasy nascar space nick giffen what's going on man
2: hey pat thanks for having me on it's good to be back in the scene i uh had a couple little off years here you know some things going on in life but i'm ready to go daytona 500 the super bowl of nascar as they call it it's gonna be oh man i'm excited
1: yeah, it's funny how you lead the season with the Super Bowl. So you go Super Bowl to Super Bowl but when you go in between sports. Uh, here's the thing. Jeff Radcliffe from FTNDaily.com, FTNBets.com, FTNFantasy.com is on the line. You're like, I see Jeff Radcliffe on Sunday mornings on CBS Sports talking about football during football season. This is a NASCAR show, Pat. What's going on? Jeff, I think it's timely time to finally reveal what you do in the football offseason.
3: Yeah, well, it's still football. Uh, don't get me <laughs> wrong there. There's actually two NASCAR people on that CBS show because Kyle Long, uh, former NFL offensive lineman, is a huge NASCAR guy. So be- during the breaks, we're always uh, talking shop there. But, you know, uh, previously I worked for a company that was solely football. So I really couldn't do anything else. But uh, now that I'm with FTN, we could spread our wings a little bit. And I love DFS NASCAR. I know there are some people who are going to look at this and be like, really NASCAR? Really? Yeah. Really, buddy. Really? And here's why. Unlike basketball, unlike baseball, where you have to grind every single stinking day, you have the pacing of a football season with NASCAR. It's kind of like PGA, how you have that one week of pacing essentially every single week. It's a build up to the weekend. You can do your research. You can build your lineups. You can rebuild your lineups. I love that aspect of it. And I also do find that from a projection standpoint, you're never going to be able to project wrecks, of course, But from a projection standpoint, drivers tend to drive similarly on certain tracks. Of course, there are the the best drivers out there who are going to be great on on any track. But there are certain drivers who excel on certain styles of tracks. So I do love that aspect of uh, DFS NASCAR. And I'm excited for another season here. Yes, Super Bowl at the beginning of the year. It's not really the Super Bowl. It was at the beginning of the year. But it is the biggest race of the year, no doubt about it.
1: Well, let's jump into some of the strategy because, as many people out there know who listen to the show are probably like me, don't know a whole ton about NASCAR or any of the strategy that goes behind it. So I'm here to absorb some of this knowledge about how I can put this to good use. There are huge DraftKings tournaments this weekend because, like you guys said, that the Daytona 500 is the largest race of the year. And you can check out Jeff's work. Again, ftndaily.com, FTNbet's.com. You use code Mayo. You get yourself a discount off that package too. But Nick, what do people need to know about this? Because I see you and I see Jeff and I think to myself, what do you guys have in common? Oh, You know how to do the maths. You guys have an advanced level of understanding of projections and math. Why is it that math people are gravitating so much towards NASCAR?
2: Well, uh, I think for a couple of reasons. One, NASCAR actually has a lot of data. Um, There is something called loop data, which is... Uh, where NASCAR records every single lap and, and they can get the driver's average speed every lap. They can get number of laps led, which driver ran the fastest lap on a particular lap. All of this data makes it so good for number crunchers like Jeff and myself. Uh, and what that does is it allows us to create really great projections and also a range of outcomes in these projections. And that's the big thing about NASCAR is what is a driver's range of outcomes? Because, uh, you know, as Jeff mentioned, you can't predict a wreck necessarily, but you can predict when the driver will be you know probably pretty good. Uh, but there certainly are things that can happen in NASCAR wrecks or a pit stop penalty that can kind of throw the whole thing off. so you need to kind of understand the probabilities of of each driver's uh, chances of doing well or of having issues in in any given race.
1: So, Jeff, if we're just starting, I'm looking at the screen right now. I'm looking at the pricing for Daytona 500. Obviously, we don't, again, know what the qualifying is going to be, so where the players are started or the drivers are starting. And obviously, that's going to make a huge difference once we get down to the DraftKings scoring. But when you set out your process of how to start with everything, do you just run the projections and input everything in and take a look at it and be like, all right, that's my starting point?
3: Yeah, I do think that's the way to go. Uh, uh, let's be clear, I am not as advanced as Nick. <laughs> I, I do have an advanced degree, but it is not in anything quantitative. <laughs> I, I was a qualitative researcher uh, before this This. Crazy uh, tangent that my life has taken here into this job. I have a PhD in cultural anthropology. That is uh, as far on the qualitative end of the spectrum as they come. So, a lot of ways, like I consider myself to be like one of those guys who is self taught on guitar. I'm self taught in Microsoft Excel. I know Nick does a lot more advanced stuff there, but yes, I do take. I have uh, certain, uh, several data points that I've ch- tested through regression analysis that I then put into my model, and then I spit out numbers. Now, there are some instances where you can, you can run into some challenges. There are a lot of, of young drivers who come, and we do have data on them from, say, the Xfinity, the, the league below. If you're not familiar with NASCAR, it's right below uh, the Cup Series but that really isn't necessarily translatable, especially if they're running in, in some of these lower end teams who don't quite have the equipment of the top teams out there. So there often is, I often talk about projections for football as it, there's an art form to it, right? There, you, you know, it's sort of autopilot, but you know, when, you, when you're on autopilot, You don't want autopilot landing your plane and taking off your plane. There's about that 10% there that the pilot has to do the work. So with projections, with the model, there is some uh, manual work that goes into it and you do have to make some tweaks based on what you know about the drivers. But generally speaking, yes, starting spot. And where I often say for football, maybe it's 70% of my process. For NASCAR, it's probably more like 90% of my process is the projections and I just lean heavily into them.
1: Well, it's funny you say that because I kind of do this with MMA versus like football where I know less about MMA and UFC, DraftKings and betting on it. I know the resources that I like to go to and the people to listen to to absorb the information. And I feel like, and that I can run the numbers along with it, but I feel like I'm better at that than me just kind of going to do everything. Do you feel like you may have a better ROI in NASCAR than in football because you're not necessarily overthinking it?
3: uh well i know i have a better roi in nascar as weird as that is yeah i i don't think that i've ever had a single big takedown in nfl i've come close a couple times i'd have to go back through the years but i really don't think i have i've had like fourth or fifth place finishes which as we know are not the same as finishing first last year i had multiple takedowns in nascar uh and that was post-covid with all the weirdness that was going on there you mentioned if there's qualifying, there are going to still be races where there are there isn't qualifying, and we dealt with that last year. Uh, so, yeah, I know that for a fact, and maybe you're right here. There is something to kind of just shutting the brain off for a minute and just rolling with what the numbers tell you. I know that subjectivity comes into play, especially with football for me, because I have my takes. They're really strong on certain players, and they can ultimately shape what I do building lineups or season long fantasy football or even to to a lesser extent with, with uh prop betting.
1: Uh Nick, would you say that Jeff's point about the lead up to a race all week and then it happening, especially like would take like three, four hours for a race to happen, you can see a result. Do you think that it is more akin to fan like DraftKings football and DraftKings PGA in the way that people can actually play it where it's not an everyday grind that maybe that's just more appealing to a lot of people?
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, especially especially during the COVID period where, we, as Jeff and, and you all have mentioned, there isn't qualifying for a lot of these races. There also isn't even practice for a lot of these races. One of the big pieces of data we often use is practice data where they'll, you know, maybe the day before, two days before the race, they'll the practice on the track and try to fine tune their cars and, and, and the driver will get used to the track again. They aren't doing that as much now under the COVID pandemic protocols. They're going to have eight races with practice this year. So, uh, that gives you a whole lead up for a whole week to just kind of be like, all right, here's this driver. Let me analyze how he does it. This track. I'm not worried about practice speeds. You know, it's not heavy hitting everyday stuff and you can kind of take it at your own pace throughout the week. Uh, and I very much think it's like PGA you have, uh, tracks in NASCAR and you have courses in PGA and a driver can be really good at a track or a golfer can be really good at a course and also the correlated courses and correlated tracks so it's very much uh, akin to PGA I will say the one difference is uh, and Jeff mentioned this you know driver may have really bad equipment you're not going to find a golfer going out there with like a wooden club or something
1: I see you say that, but I remember Vaughn Taylor won Pebble Beach one year where like his like clubs didn't show up. He was using like a caddy bag to walk around. He still ended up winning. But yes, the the equipment uh, is not going to differ by and large from the very top of the field to the bottom of the field in golf. So as it pertains to qualifying. Uh, Obviously, Daytona 500 is going to have two races that determine the qualifying for the race on Sunday. But then it seems to me like there's only eight races all year right now that look like they'll actually have qualifying. So the ones that don't have qualifying and lap speed to determine the starting order that week, how is that going to work?
2: Um, well, it's uh, basically, they're going to have a formula to determine the starting order. So um, you know, last year, it was it was based off of a driver's finish in the previous race and his, his um, speed during the race and, and his standings and the, it'll be kind of a similar formula this year. So we'll know the qualifying lineup pretty early in the week, which will give us a chance for people like myself to run our projections and our models you know, Tuesday or Wednesday uh, in the week, and then they can just sit there all week and you can play around, uh, uh, you know, with them and, and figure out what works for you. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much how things are going to be set and we won't have practice. They're just going to show up and go through um, the, uh, you know, the, the inspection protocol and make sure their cars are legal and then they're going to race.
1: So, Jeff, when you get to you said you had some success post-COVID when there wasn't a bunch of qualifying. What stands out to you about why that could be a bigger advantage? Like you get to run your projections early, obviously. But does that favor certain drivers knowing that they're going to start higher in the grid? Or does it favor some of the drivers in the back, DraftKings-wise, knowing that they can make up a lot of laps if they project well?
3: Well, yeah, it often is the other way around, not the guys who are starting up front, but the guys who may have performed well the previous week. And because of that are really towards the middle. So we had that we would have a reversal of the top 20 in a lot of races, not every race last year. They didn't they didn't do it every single time, but that creates that place differential advantage that sometimes gets overlooked. you know people gravitate towards big names regardless of the sport. It's always my warning against uh, doing that in, in football for for prop betting because usually those are the, the players you have the least advantage on uh, the, the big name ones. So uh, in this instance here though you know, a lot of people gravitate towards the big names and then sort of overlooking the fact that place differential can be a big factor you know, looking at Daytona, that's the like plate track races. That's the massive factor because, you know, there's going to be a wreck. You know, it's probably there's probably going to be a massive wreck at the end of the race. It always seems to happen that way. And so you want to really load up on guys in the back. But I, I, you know, I would not recommend that for every single race. You know, I would not recommend that for the duels, for example, even though it's on the same track with the same drivers only a few days before those are going to play out very differently so you do have to know the nuances of each of the races and then apply that strategy are there races where you want multiple dominators you want three dominators you want two dominators guys who are going to dominate the entire race and lead a bunch of laps uh are there races where you want to load up and place differential guys there's so much to it, and knowing those intricacies of each track is really key.
1: So Nick, uh, just kind of building off what Jeff said, where do you think that people have the most problems in identifying how this is actually scored and how it translates into DraftKings points? Because it's, I mean, I can just equate it to golf very easily, because that's how I'm trying to wrap my mind around this, is by comparison that there are some players on the PGA Tour that you always go after, because they make a lot of birdies. They might make a lot of bogeys, but birdies are worth so much more than the minus that bogeys come that even if they finish in let's say 35th place they might actually score top 10 for the week in terms of DraftKings scoring are there there racers like that in DraftKings NASCAR that yeah maybe they don't win the race but all of a sudden like they have a lot of these secret value points
2: yeah, definitely. Um, and I think I think there's kind of two key things that maybe newer players to NASCAR DFS uh, key areas of mistakes. One of them is what Jeff was talking about with dominators. Now, this won't come into play for the Daytona 500 as much. We don't worry about dominators for the Daytona 500. But for other races, he mentioned those drivers that lead laps or pick up the fastest laps. Those points accumulate really fast on DraftKings, especially uh you need to nail the correct number of dominators. I see lineups where they don't put any drivers in with it or that have any dominating potential or, or where they'll try to stuff like four dominators in and then have two back markers. And you only need one or two dominators, maybe in a certain race. So it's, it's, it's not adjusting to the track as Jeff said. And the other thing is ignoring starting position too much. You still do need to pay attention to starting position in every race. Um, Some races it's more important than others, as Jeff was saying, but there's races where I see people load up and, and, They're all six of their drivers start in the top 15. And I'm like, you're not going to get any place differential points doing that. You're going to need those drivers to finish basically one through six. Um, So uh, place differential, especially on DraftKings scoring, is so important. Like, So if you start 30th and you finish 20th, you gain 10 spots. You get 10 points for DraftKings for that. And that's very important, especially when it comes to these mid-pack drivers and, and back marker drivers. That place differential really matters for them. The top drivers, the dominator points matter, but the mid-pack drivers and the back markers, finishing position and place differential, that combination is what's going to get you kind of your extra points outside of your dominators.
1: All right. I, I have a very stupid question, Nick. What is a dominator? Are those just the good drivers? <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, pretty much. They're, they're the good drivers, but you can kind of rule in and rule out some of the good drivers based off of their track history, right. Uh, or correlated track history or, uh, how their performance has been recently. Uh, or if we do have practice, what their practice speeds are like, or their starting position, if the drivers had a bad qualifying or, or get you know, in, in this case, uh, maybe he gets a bad uh, formula you know, for his starting position. He's not going to be near the front near the start. That means he's probably not going to be leading the laps. He's also probably not going to be getting the fastest laps because he's going to be in the middle of a pack of cars and you can't go as fast when you're trying to maneuver around other cars. So uh, it's just going to be um, track dependent. Like generally speaking, there may be a pool of like 10 to 12 drivers, you know, will probably dominate the race. And then you can narrow that down to maybe six or seven per track just depending on each weekend situation and circumstances
1: so jeff when it comes to isolating the tracks knowing if it's like a road course or not like is there a good set of information where i can go find this uh do you see more of one type of course than another type of course uh when you go through everything and how do you parse those people out is that just knowledge that you have off the top of your head like i can do that with golf but i have no idea for nascar
3: well i mean there are certain <laughs> certain drivers on certain tracks like yeah you know, chase chase elliott on a, a roval it's a the road we just saw the roval so uh it's a mixture of a road course and they partially drive on the oval so at daytona for example uh, there's the charlotte roval as well like chase elliott's just unbelievable on that now granted he, he did crash out at the very end of uh the uh the clash race but still for generally speaking that you can group tracks that's what i tend to do because really if you wanted to project just individually four tracks there's just not enough of a a recent sample for these drivers to do so uh you know with any sort of accuracy and even so we're still uh, on somewhat limited data so i group tracks i actually have seven different track groupings in mine i know people will have more some people will have fewer But you can you know certain tracks are similar like Talladega and Daytona I have grouped together now Talladega isn't exactly the same as Daytona though. And if you just blindly took projections you wouldn't take that into account where certain guys are going to run a little bit better at at Talladega because of those subtle differences so. You do have to know that there is lots of data out there as as Nick had uh, mentioned earlier, I mean you can get the general place data on most sports data sites like you know the freebies out there of the world but uh really if you wanted to do this on your own if you're somebody who might be a little bit more uh excel inclined or even further you can do some other cool stuff with data just search out uh, nascar loop data and you'll be able to find some sites that have that and that's where you really get your interesting information with percentage of laps these guys run in the top 15. uh their driver rating which Unlike in the NFL quarterback rating, yeah, whatever, but driver rating can be really telling, especially if a guy runs really well and then wrecks, you know, or has somebody wreck him, you know, that doesn't show up when you just look at where he finished in the race, but it will show up in the driver rating can um, look at quality passes there's there's just so much uh, great data out there as nick mentioned earlier and that will give you a much more complete picture of
1: these drivers on on the respective tracks so nick how do you parse the tracks out do you take more of a micro approach and try to have different a lot of different buckets or is it more macro where hey it's this type it's this type and it's this type how do you approach that
2: yeah. So Jeff said he has seven different types. I have five, kind of six. Um, I, there's the big flat tracks and the small flat tracks. And I, I kind of lump them together, especially now that they're not doing uh, the big Indy Annapolis oval. They're now doing the the road course oval, like the Indy roval, I guess. But uh, so... I kind of have five groupings um, and I actually also have a correlation coefficient for each track. How well does each track correlate to another track? Uh, and I use things like the banking, the distance, the, you know, the width of the track, the age of the surface, um, you know, old tracks that are, that were resurfaced 20 years ago are super abrasive. And will wear your tires really fast and brand new tracks. They're smooth as butter. And uh, the, the tires don't wear, they behave completely differently. Even if they're built Perfectly identical otherwise. So um, I have correlation coefficients that I've kind of empirically tested to give as much predictability as possible on future data. And so um, while I do have buckets to say, like, this is a certain track type or that's a certain track type. And I think it's very important for, for that kind of analysis. I actually also just kind of correlate every track with each other and then and weigh um, my past data based off of the correlation coefficient. So something like Daytona is going to have a correlation coefficient of essentially zero with uh, almost all the other tracks except Talladega. So it's not like I'm weighing all these other tracks that don't matter into my Daytona data. I'm basically looking at Daytona and Talladega.
1: Well, let's stick here for a second, because is there any way that you can just within the DraftKings game itself when you're building the roster of six drivers. Is there any way that you can stack drivers together? Like, can you stack teammates together? If you think that, hey, the track might be a bit slick because it was misty out earlier and they haven't canceled the race. Well, these guys all perform generally better. Their tires are better when the track is a little bit slicker. Like, is there any stacking method that you can do to at least find some correlation in your lineups or does that just not exist?
2: Yeah, oh, definitely. Um, You can stack teammates, like you said, especially at tracks like Daytona or Talladega, where a lot of teamwork takes place because we have the draft and the, these guys are drafting with each other to try to go as fast as possible. So teamwork really comes into play at the super speedways, Daytona and Talladega. Uh, that said, for the Daytona 500, it's going to be every man for himself at the very end. Uh, but uh, there are other tracks where it might be an engine manufacturer. Maybe the Fords have found an advantage at a certain track uh, or certain type of track. So they'll have an advantage for three or four weeks in a row or, or you know, three or four tracks within a couple month uh time frame. So there are definitely ways to to stack and also just you want to make sure you look with with correlations. If if you think driver A is going to lead a race or dominate a race, that means it's going to reduce the likelihood that certain other drivers might not dominate a race. So there's anti-correlation there as well. So uh even though two drivers could be like optimally played 33%. You don't want to play them 33% with each other. You want, you know, the lineups that have Joey Logano. uh you want to bump, you know, let's say, Martin Truex Jr. down to 20%, and then the lineups that don't have Joey you want to bump Martin Truex Jr. up to 45% or something like that. So um, there are correlated and anti-correlated plays as well.
1: Uh, Jeff, have you found that the track crossover and the track correlation is a real thing? Because this is a debate we get into with course history in golf. Does it exist, or is it just something that pops out in your mind? Because if you see one guy, oh, he won back-to-back years here, like he might miss the cut the next eight years at the course, so it could have just been In two isolated one-off years, because you only see it once a year. That you know, it's a very small sample, it's a very micro sample, that it might not be telling you exactly what you think. But do you think that there's enough long-term data to see either track history or correlated track history with drivers?
3: I do think there's enough long-term data, especially with certain track types, uh, that, you know, again, you're seeing some of the veterans we've seen these guys racing on these tracks two times a year for 10 years. Sometimes as well, you'll get, you know, you'll get guys like Kyle Bush who will run in the Xfinity series. So it's not like if you're new to this, it's not like uh, having a, a pro baseball player then go play triple A. Like he doesn't do that. <laughs> you know, how, I'm going to play a triple A game in the, in the afternoon. Then I'll be up here. in um, the big leagues for the night game. It doesn't work that way, but you can do that for Xfinity. You can run the trucks races as well. So we'll get a lot of different data points on these guys. So I I don't think it's the same thing. And just to add to the stacking, uh, there's other stacking techniques as well. You know, we talk about dominators, guys who are going to lead the race. You know, certain – keep in mind, pay attention to how many laps the race is. Like, state the obvious, but sometimes the obvious needs to be stated. There's a lot of laps. There's a lot of points up for grabs in terms of laps led, 0.45 points per Red led. Fastest laps is a quarter of a point per fastest lap. So that really, as Nick said earlier, starts to accumulate. So you can stack dominators with place differential guys. Sometimes people will stack based on the starting grid as well. The old 3 two, one formula. So three drivers uh, from 30 to 40, two drivers from 20 to 30, and then one driver from 10 to, uh, you know, 10 to 20. On certain tracks, you can do that. That's a Basically, it's an entire place differential lineup uh, where you're not as worried about dominator points. So Daytona could be a place where that would be in play, possibly Talladega as well. Again, adjusting those stacks, though, and, it's, and so it's not as if you're just no stacks from football, it's not like you're stacking just teammates here. You're actually stacking based on their position on the grid.
1: Does that does that correlate with you, Nick? Like is that a good strategy to end up taking? Sort of like the reverse pyramid?
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. And uh especially for Daytona and Talladega, those tracks and, and some of the lot often the road courses as well, because uh the reason is these tracks are so big. And in the case of the road courses, the the number of miles they run is usually 300 instead of 500 miles uh it'll reduce the number of laps uh and and daytona is just it's so wild that people are always passing for the lead and the fastest laps are spread out so the thing that matters most is place differential at daytona and talladega especially with all these big wrecks that can occur you can move from 40th to top 10 uh, in one wreck you know it's it's crazy but uh So I actually, for many years, I've written an article with like essentially my rules for Daytona, the Daytona 500, which is, you know, you don't want to pick more than uh, one max, max, max two drivers starting in the top 10, even that's super rare. So if you do that, that, you know, and you're multi entering, it should be done in a very small proportion of your lineups. But I would say a max of one driver starting in the top 10. Um, you know, it's okay to have a couple starting in the top 20, but by and large, you're going to want to be stacking drivers from the back of the field, especially for the Daytona 500, where we've got these qualifying races and we'll see wrecks in these qualifying races. So we'll see some really good drivers starting way in the back uh, for this uh, because again, these qualifying races determine the starting order for the Daytona, Daytona 500. So you might have Martin Truex Jr. starting 38. Uh, and so you can get a lot of really good drivers starting in the back and you're going to want to take all of that place differential. Uh, that said, you do want to pay attention to ownership percentage. If, if if Martin Truex Jr. wrecks and he's starting in the back, everybody's going to be playing him. If he's played way more than he should be, uh, then it's a good idea to go underweight on him.
1: Now, is is there like a chalk percentage, Nick, that you would think about being like, well, if he is over 66% owned, like I need to be massively underweight or just full out fade him if I'm playing multiple lineups, or does it just really depend on what you're seeing that day? Like if there's another comparable option at similar price points or even similar starting positions?
2: All of that. Um, So (laughs) it's, you know, it can be track dependent, like certain tracks, if a driver's starting in the back, you're. You know, he's probably, especially if it's somebody like Martin Truex Jr., as this using that example, he's probably 70, 75% likely to end up in the winning lineup just because he's going to go from 30th to probably finishing in the top 10. Um, Other tracks like Daytona, where, uh, you know, about half the field wrecks out every single time we're at the Daytona 500, and it's a total crapshoot as to who wrecks out if Martin Truex Jr. is played 50% of lineups, that's too much. Um, so, you know, the optimal for him might actually be somewhere around 35 to 40%. Uh, so it, it really depends on the track. And, um, you know, one of the things I I do, um, especially that I'm starting to do this year, I've done in the past, but I'm really actually rolling it out on, on the fantasy lab stuff that I'm doing, is something called the optimal percent or the perfect percent, where I'm going to simulate the race 50,000 times from my from my model that I've built, uh, and just calculate the number of times each driver ends up in the winning lineup. So I can say, well, Martin Truex Jr. at Daytona, he's starting 38th, he ends up in the winning lineup 37% of the time. Projected ownership is 50%. So you know, I, I definitely want to be underweight on Martin Truex Jr.
1: This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Like, for example, me being stuck with two little kids and my wife in a very small condo for the past 10 months starts to wear on you over time. But BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. This is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is a professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available, which not may be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide, and you can log into your account anytime and send messages to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit through an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read some of the testimonials that are posted daily, like this one about Brandon Wolfenden, CMHC. He's a very kind man. He isn't pushy and doesn't probe for answers. He is gentle and sweet. This is what Catherine Boulet has to say about her. Great service. Things keep getting better with Catherine. Look forward to 2021. Visit betterhelp.com slash mayo. That's better H-E-L-P and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. A special offer for Pat Mayo experienced listeners, get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash mayo. Jeff, I'm hearing a lot of potential, hey, these guys might start in the back at Daytona because there's a lot of crashes. Are there certain courses that just inherently have more crashes than others? And in those types of races, is there just way more variance that maybe you can take a few more shots?
3: Well, I'd really say it's probably the two restrictor place plate races that that have that. I mean, there's a reason why we keep point, pinpointing uh, Daytona. You're going to have wrecks in any race, but it just really promotes it uh, with with the uh, restrictor plate, with the horsepower, the setup, everything there. So I I wouldn't worry, again, I mentioned earlier, it's the one thing you can't predict. I wouldn't worry about that. I wouldn't have that necessarily in the front of my mind, but at the same time, that's the reason why we keep saying with Daytona, don't load up on guys in the top 10, really kind of maybe go sparingly in the top 20. And then outside of that, because that's all that uh, uh, place differential points that you're going to be accumulating there. You know, the other thing that to go off of what Nick was saying with uh, ownership, you can use leverage to your advantage as well. Like if there is a guy, you know, he says Truex, I'll go with Truex. If Truex, we think he's going to be 50 plus percent owned, there is a lot of leverage in uh, crafting lineups that don't have him and you can use that, that to your advantage because you know what if Truex racks out those 50 line or 50% of lineups are dead you know and now you're you, you don't have to compete with the entire field you're only competing with half the field at that point in terms of the lineups so keeping that in mind and building lineups specifically for that reason
1: is, is a big time
3: strategy of mine.
1: Well, Nick, it does seem like there's a lot of variance with these wrecks and that they can take out almost anyone in the field. It's almost, it's it's like, you know, starting Elvin Kamara in football when he gets hurt on the first place. Like, well, my lineup's dead for the day. I'll, I'll see you next week. So when you're picking tournaments to play in obviously everyone wants to play in you know the big one the one one million dollar guaranteed 200k to first place on DraftKings that would be great to win but if you're playing this every week and you're trying to be profitable doing it and playing GPPs uh, are there single entries or three maxes you can look at because with the way that you guys are talking and based on the math that goes behind this this doesn't seem like a sport where you want to fire single bullets off
2: yeah, I mean, it's definitely tough to be a, a single bullet entry in NASCAR just because, as, as you said, it's so hard to predict. We can't predict crashes. We can't predict blown tires. We can't predict pit stop penalties. You know, we can't predict any of that stuff. It's unpredictable. There's no way you can say, you know, this guy blew a tire. Well, that was a terrible pick, Nick. Like, why did you pick this driver? Uh, it's just it happens, right? It, it's just the nature of the sport. Uh, you know, like, just like you can't predict Alvin Kamar blowing his knee on the first play of the game. So these things happen. So it it does make it tough to single entry or three max. But I do like the three max because people tend to gravitate towards the plays they think are safer um so you'll see a little bit more chalk in the three maxes uh and so i like going a little more contrarian even more contrarian uh in the three maxes now of course in the big tournaments it also pays to be contrarian and and find some good low loan plays and mix and, and match those uh in good ways but in the three max i actually find people like to be a little safe um because they only have one or three shots you know in the single or three max entries
1: all right, well, Jeff, before we dig into Daytona and just get some early leans on everything, is there anything else you think people should know about playing, drafting NASCAR, or even betting on NASCAR for that point that made me like I I don't know. I don't exactly know what I do. I feel like I'm getting a good sense of what I should be targeting, uh, how I should be constructing lineups. Is there anything I'm missing here, do you think?
3: No, I don't think there's anything major. Uh, unlike football, you know... A lot of—I'll be honest—I'm—I'm I'm aiming to be profitable every single week in football. Uh, football is my thing, hey, so of course ha, ha, qu- I am. Hold on, how does
1: that work out? Does it work?
3: Well, it, <laughs> <laughs> the player prop—that's not necessarily—but this week, this year was pretty solid. Uh, Fifteen out of twenty-one weeks, so I'll take it. Uh, well over half there. You can't have that same mindset though when it comes to to NASCAR. I'm almost—I'm almost looking at it like. Uh, you know, because of that variance we've talked about here, that has to be factored in. And, and if you have a bad week, you have to realize that. So I think you have to budget accordingly. I know that some people will look at PGA in a very similar way, where you're not necessarily trying to, you know, hit your, uh, your win bets, your outrights every single week. You're, you're hoping that you will, but realizing obviously that that's a little bit far-fetched. I think it's a lot easier for me in football than it is in NASCAR to be that consistent because they're, you know, I, I guess my variance is spread out. Maybe that's why I view it the way I do. You know, people will kind of ch- they'll laugh a little bit when I say I put in 250 player prop bets a week, but I do because I think I have an edge on 250 player prop bets a week. I don't have that edge in a NASCAR race. I only have a few bets that I'm going to play. And realizing that, I also have to be careful with how many units I'm playing on each of them. If I'm betting outrights and I'm betting a full unit every single outright, I'm going to go broke pretty quickly. So you have to be careful with that, monitor that, and then also just be realistic with your GPPs. Sometimes it just doesn't go your way. And there's nothing worse than when that crash happens early. You're overweight on somebody. You think you you got the great read on the race. And then, boom, something happens. The engine blows up or whatever. They're in the wall. And your day is done. I mean, you just have to realize that. And those are the breaks.
1: Uh, Nick, what are proper expectations for this? Because I, I like Jeff's point about like golf betting. Like I bet you know a bunch of outrights every single week, and basically in order to be profitable in golf, it, like because I'm not playing the guys at the top of the board, I usually start at twenty to one and beyond. Like last week we hit a fifty-five to one golf winner. I mean that basically carries me for the next five weeks in terms of how much money I'm actually putting in and betting. In terms of betting and on DraftKings for NASCAR, like what's a realistic expectation? Because you can f- fall into a trap because it's only once a week. So football is this way. Golf is this way. MMA is this way. NASCAR is this way. Like If you have a bad process in baseball and you're losing consistently for two straight months, there's a baseball slate every single day. You get a large sample of that. Even in hockey and in basketball, where it is every single night, you actually have a sample size of Like, hey, I'm not doing this right. I need to change something because you have 60 slates worth of data. We're just not going to have that for some of these other sports, NASCAR included. So how do you know if you're doing well or not? Like, are you running into bad luck, bad variance, or are you just bad?
2: Yeah, no, that's a great question. Uh, one of the things that I would say is look at, I mean, watch the race, first of all. Second of all, look at the data from the race. Was your driver that you bet to win, uh, you know, if he was 50 to one and he had the fifth fastest average green, green flag speed and he was running near the front of the whole race, that's probably a good process. That's probably a good bet, even though he didn't win the race or, or was the driver, the favorite you bet, um, you know, dominating the race and got shuffled out on a yellow flag that caused really crazy pit stop stuff at the end. It's like. It, that's a good process. Now, did you bet Denny Hamlin at, at seven to one? You know, I was one of the favorites and he stunk up the joint. That's a little bit different. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, you really need to be honest with yourself. There are times, yeah, I lost because I was unlucky. And there are times, I lost because i just made a bad bet and you need to be honest with yourself you need to study the race you need to study the data from the race uh because you're not going to win every time and and when you don't you need to separate oh i was just unlucky again sometimes you can be unlucky and your driver finishes or not unlucky sometimes your driver can finish second you think you're unlucky but you still actually made a bad bet just he, he got lucky to finish second in some ways so you really need to understand the race um and and the data behind it so that's a, what are the expectations you're not going to win every week of course my motto especially in DFS has always been lose small, win bigger, um, or, or win big. Um, I, I t- tend to have two or three losing weeks for every winning week I have. I, that's just the way I play. Um, I, I try to construct my portfolio so that, you know, there is some hedging going on, uh, so that I don't lose too much, but then when I do hit, I'm going to hit big. So that's just the way I, I, I tend to play as a DFS player.
1: Well, it's funny that you say the separation between was this bad process or was I just unlucky? I take a very critical method of how I look at my lineups. And I can tell you that I've been unlucky for 427 straight weeks. It sucks. (laughs) (laughs) One of these weeks, it's going to turn around for me. I'm just, I'm just feeling it when it comes down to it. Let's talk Daytona, though. Um, obviously, again, we don't know what the qualifying is as of this recording. But, Nick, when you just go into this race, is Daytona a spot where the favorites do well, where a long shot winner can happen? Like, when you just think about it coming in before you start anything, what preconceived notions do you have in your head about how to play DraftKings this week or even how to bet this week?
2: Yeah. So as far as DraftKings um, or, or race winners, even just in general, uh, I wouldn't say anybody can win Daytona, but certainly longer shots can win. I, we saw Trevor Bain win the Daytona 500 in his first ever Daytona 500 start in 2011. He was, you know, a, quite a mid-pack driver then. We've seen other drivers, Jamie McMurray's win. And, and you know, he's not a, necessarily a favorite in most weeks, but at Daytona, he's actually really good. So um there is certain, you know we, we do say like pretty much any driver can win Daytona. It's not quite true. There's a lot of, there's a few junk cars, maybe about 10 or 12 junk cars. Uh, and then the rest actually have realistic chances to win some more realistic than others, but you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see Austin Dillon win the Daytona 500, like he did a couple of years ago, I wouldn't be surprised this year. If Eric Jones won the Daytona 500 in the Richard Petty motorsports car, he just switched from Joe Gibbs racing to Richard Petty motorsports. So it doesn't surprise me to see surprise winners, but You know, Danny Hamlin's won a couple years in a row. Joey Logano's won the Daytona Fiverr. Kevin Harvick's won the Daytona. We see the big names win it as well, and they do so more frequently. And so that's why, you know, when we see the odds posted on betting sites, that's as they are. So my preconceived notion is, um, you know, anything can happen. uh, And that's why, as far as DFS goes, I really like to plan, uh, basically play game theory in DFS. I play a lot of game theory. I I try to figure out who's going to be overused, who's going to be underused and I go overweight on the guys like I it, I don't even look at projections for Daytona it's one of the tracks where projections pretty much don't matter as far as like average or median projection but range of outcomes matters uh and, and so that kind of projection matters to me and then ownership projections it's my model for Daytona uh, and and the best statistical models for Daytona, I mean, I use some of the, you know, sophisticated techniques, machine learning techniques, we can predict 10 to 15% of the variance in finishing position. So that means 85%, 90% is unexplainable at Daytona. But what we can predict is human behavior who's going to pick what drivers, you know, and and I can get 80, 85% accuracy on ownership percentage projections. So I very much try to rely on ownership percentage projections for the Daytona 500.
1: So Jeff going into this week on DraftKings right now, the highest price player above $10,000 is going to be Denny Hamlin at 10,400. And then we have Elliot, uh, Brad Kulowski, probably butchering that blaney and that's it so you have four guys above ten thousand dollars when you're constructing your lineups because some of the drivers even go down to like forty five hundred dollars you probably don't want to take those guys i'm assuming but is there a like stars and scrubs type approach to this i mean again it will all depend on the qualifying but is there any circumstance like when you build lineups like could you jam in two guys above $10,000 and not feel like that was the end of the world to you? Or is it usually like two guys in the nines or one guy in the 10, one guy in the nines, or is that just a practice where, Hey, it's not even good to talk about hypothetically. We actually need to see what's going on here.
3: I think with this race, we definitely need to see what's going on uh, more so than anything, because Hey, if two guys over 10 are starting back at like 32 and 35, then yeah, you're, they're going to be pretty widely owned, even at their high salary. And, and I do think Nick's point to, to game theory makes a lot of sense there. Those guys being highly owned means I'll probably be underweight on them, uh, but we we won't know until we get there. The one thing I will say, though, is you know we have that psychological aspect of people wanting to use all or most of their salary. And this is a race where I don't think that's what I, I, I would recommend. I would start building lineups and not even look at salary first and foremost, because you know, a lot of the, you know, it's not heavyweight. We don't have a whole bunch of guys at 10 and 11,000. So build some lineups. Don't look at salary. If some of them come over. Okay. That's fine. Go back to the drawing board with those lineups, but don't really worry about the salary. And Hey, if you come in at like 35,000, okay, whatever, 37,000. All right. Ordinarily I wouldn't recommend that, but with Daytona, all bets are off in that regard. So in terms of actually building them, though, who, who do I think is going to be in these lineups? We got to wait. I tell you, uh, Alex Bowman's not going to be in any of my lineups. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. We just don't see pole sitters win the Daytona 500. We, we have seen a couple pole sitters in the last 10 years win at Daytona, but it's the other race. I think it, we'd have to go back like 20 years or so for the last time a pole sitter won uh, at Daytona. I know Dale Jarrett did it way back. Yeah, uh, I'm saying way back in the day. This is how we know we're old. Back in the early 2000s, the very beginning of the 2000s. Uh, but uh, either way, not going to be using Alex Bowman as fast as he is. William By- Byron won here the last race. Not the Daytona 500, but the last time he was here. He's also starting on the front row. Probably won't be using him at all either. I don't think I'm going to have anybody in that top 10 in, in my lineups. But otherwise, we're going to wait to see what happens with the duels. Uh,
1: so, Nick, uh, is, did you... I leave salary on the table almost on every single slate, no matter what the sport. Like, And it seems like these type of sports where you look at the optimal by the end where it's like a single isolated thing and you're not combining a whole bunch of different games into one, like very rarely are you going to see a, a millionaire maker winning football lineup that leaves $5,000 on the table. But you might see it in golf. No one's going to have that lineup, mind you, but the optimal was leaving $5,000 on the table. Same as showdown contest for single round golf. MMA, very much the same way do you put like a hard cap on how much you spend and it's never the 50,000
2: uh yeah actually i intentionally set it so i leave at least 600 on the table often like for the daytona 500 i'll set it so i leave at least a thousand on the table um because if i get up there and i'm playing lineups where i'm only leaving one two hundred, three hundred dollars on the table yeah maybe they have a chance to win i mean anything has a chance to win at daytona let's be real uh it's Still probably gonna be split, and I'm going for the big prize. Uh, the Daytona Five hundred has had winning salaries of thirty eight thousand one hundred dollars on the table. um you know, uh, $42,900 one year. Like I'm looking to not pay up for everything. And the other thing is if you're if you're paying up for all of that salary, you're doing it with the guys that are probably starting in the back, as Jeff was saying, that are $10,000 each. They're going to be highly owned. I'm I'm going underweight on them anyway. So I'm just naturally not going to be paying full salary. So in the Daytona 500 specifically, and then the super speedway races, Talladega and Daytona, the other races on the super speedways, absolutely I'm trying to avoid using max salary now. Other races, I'm, I'm probably getting closer to the fifty thousand dollar cap because those races are more predictable and and much closer to an NFL season. You know, six hundred, seven hundred, three hundred dollars left on the table is totally normal to see for winning lineups. But Daytona, yeah, I mean, I've, like I said, I've seen thirty eight thousand one hundred be the winning lineup for for Daytona.
1: So when it comes down to trying to project ownership, I would guess it's probably a bit more difficult with Daytona five hundred because you get them a lot more casual players then this is the one time a year that they're going to play DraftKings nascar are there any like because i mean i i don't really follow it at all are there a few players that kind of stand out down the pricing they're like oh they're gonna be popular because people know who they are and they're like the three drivers that people actually know because that happens in golf at the masters like oh i'll take tiger woods i know who tiger woods is
2: Um, I wouldn't say it's necessarily specific drivers, uh, but what we do see, especially in the first race here, the Daytona 500, just too much usage on those drivers starting in the front, um year after year after year we see it and especially for the first race of the daytona 500 because you got that one million dollar prize pool on DraftKings, and people want a piece of that and they don't know what they're doing they think i see this driver starting up front he must be good he's got a big salary uh you know i've heard of him before kyle bush he's a he's a champion uh so i'm going to play him and you will see those drivers go overwhelmed it it may not necessarily be driver specific uh in the case of kyle bush it could be but uh You just see too much ownership on the driver starting at the front of the field for the Daytona 500. Uh,
1: Jeff, when you think about like betting outrights for this, uh, I would think you'd probably want to start after the qualifying actually happens to see where these guys are starting. Or does that not mean anything to you in the outright betting market? And how often do like long shots come through in NASCAR?
3: Well, again, it depends on the track. Um, you know, looking through uh, some of you know, like so, for example, like when Denny won, he he started tenth uh, in uh, 2019. He started 21st the last time. You know, last year when he won. So is that a long shot? I mean, I know his odds probably weren't uh, long shot odds. I don't have those in front of me right now. But I honestly, won't go overboard on outrights for the Daytona 500. I'd rather. You know, I'd rather have tracks that I'm much more confident that are more predictable than than Daytona. So one area that I like to dabble in occasionally, though, is is you do get driver versus driver props, which I know DraftKings does have those, you know, every week for the races. And, and if you have a particularly strong feeling of one driver over another, like you, you mentioned Brad Keslowski earlier, <laughs> um, you know, if you think Joey's going to beat him or he's going to beat Joey, and a lot of times, like, drivers of a similar uh, skill level will be up against each other. So that, that's an area where I think you can have some fun here with Daytona. But betting-wise, wouldn't go too overboard. And I will say it's a shame that this is the first race of the year. I love it that, that it's the first race of the year. But for some people, it will be their first taste of DFS. And then they're, they're going to come away from it like, oh, this is stupid. All they do is just crash at the end after all the silly left-hand turns. And I'm not going to play this anymore. I wish it was a different race so that maybe they don't have that bad taste in their mouth. So, you know, if you're going to play for the first time, just realize it's going to be crazy. Take the tips that, that Nick gave. Take the tips that I gave and apply them. But maybe don't go overboard just yet. It's a, a very long season, incredibly long season. And as it goes on, you're going to learn more and more.
1: Uh, so, Nick, as it pertains to the betting market, Jeff mentions the heads. The heads. Uh, I think I've tailed you on a few of those over the years and I've been pretty profitable on them but as it pertains to like the outright betting market do you feel yourself betting more like top five finishes or playing the head-to-heads rather than just betting on a racer to win
2: yeah i mean especially at daytona it's so hard to figure out who's who's gonna win uh because like i said probably 25 or 30 of these potentially up to 30 of these drivers can win uh you're you either gonna have to make a lot of bets and and hope one hits and and cut You know, it would have to be a lot of longer shot, medium to longer shot bets. Uh, or you can make very few outright bets. My, me personally, I like to probably take one medium and, and one you know, like uh, kind of upper medium shot bet. Um, I tend not to bet favorites at the Daytona 500 um, just because, like I said, so many people can win. And I will look at top 10, top fives uh, because that's so much more. Uh, I wouldn't say predictable, but essentially if they avoid the carnage and, and half the fields wrecked out, they only have to beat half the other drivers to get a top 10. So, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to kind of project top 10 finishing ability than it is to just nail one winner.
1: All right. That will do it on the Pat Mayo Experience. If you want to check out the full NASCAR breakdowns, you can find that up on Mayo Media Network after qualifying, if there is no qualifying, a bit earlier in the week as we go through it, from Jeff and from Nick. Jeff, what NASCAR content are you going to be providing over at FTN this year?
3: Uh, So we'll have the projections already up, uh, including, and I don't know why I do this to myself, projections for trucks and Xfinity. (laughs) Uh, But no write-ups on those. uh, Thankfully, uh, we'll, we'll have some other folks who will give you some content there, but from yours truly, Each week, I will do a write-up on the race, break down my strategy for the race. So a full breakdown, you know, drivers I'm going to be using, overweight guys I'm going to fade, that sort of thing. Uh, So you can definitely check that out over at FTNDaily.com. At FTNBets.com, I will have my bets uh, for every single race. Uh, We'll give you outrights. We'll give you top fives, top tens. We'll give you head-to-heads. Every single week, we'll have that up there. Plus the rest of our team over there has bets and DFS advice as well.
1: So ftndaily.com, Ftnbets.com, You use code Mayo. You get yourself a discount, okay? Nick, fantasylabs.com. What can people expect from you over there?
2: Yeah, so I'm going to be doing projections for every single cup race this year, including uh, the special events like the all-star race, the duels, the clash. uh, And um, for the regular season races, that's going to include ownership percentage projections, floor and ceiling projections, uh, perfect percent projections. So, um, you know, the, the per- percentage of the time they'll end up in the optimal lineup according to my simulations. So all of those projections can be bought in the Fantasy Labs marketplace. If you're already a Fantasy lab subscriber, if not, uh, you can just go to my Twitter, see the pinned tweet. That's twitter.com slash rotodoc, R-O-T-O-D-O-C. Uh, and I will be writing an article every week for, for DFS as well for NASCAR Cup Series. Um, also actionnetwork.com, which is, uh, you know, our parent company uh, will be uh, we've got a team doing bets as well. And I'm sure I'll be writing some betting articles throughout the year for them as well. So uh, yeah, that's where you can find all my stuff.
1: All right, excellent news. Remember, everyone, smash the like button to the episode in the comment section. Please tell me your early lean for the Daytona 500. Also, if you want to get into the draw for 100 American dollars, subscribe to Daily Fantasy Sports Picks and Bets, The Mix, where you will find all of the NASCAR content for picks and bets, usually on Fridays, maybe before that. If you leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, along with your Twitter handle and or email address, you're in a draw for that 100 American dollars. I keep having to say American. I don't know why I have to say that. You hundred bucks. We're going to be giving away the winner on Monday's Pat Mayo experience. So please help us out and go do that. And you can get all of the other content on that feed along with NASCAR. You're going to get UFC. You're going to get soccer. You're going to get esports. You're going to get golf. You're going to get Euro golf and whatever we can muster up in short form content. Very easy to digest. Just the picks, just the bets. And that's going to be it for us. Thank you all for watching. I'll see you next time.
0: who get it done.